Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, hey, uh, I want to talk to you this morning about fruitful life. Fruitful life. That's this morning's message comes out of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is this section where Jesus teaches a bunch of parables right in a row. And we're going to look at one of them. We're going to look at the first one because it's interesting. The first one sort of gives context for everything that he teaches after that. And um, I'll tell you what we should do. We should just, we should read the scripture. We're going to read two little sections here. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to read 18 through 23, because this is one of the few places in the Scripture where Jesus tells a story, and then immediately afterwards, He tells you what it means. That, that almost never happens, by the way. Jesus is always the guy who tells you a story that confuses you, and then leaves. And it's really funny when you think about it. Especially when you think about it in church context, because in church, you know, pastors, we have this deep need to explain things. So we'll talk about God, and then we explain it and explain it so that everybody can be like, I kind of get that. Jesus almost never did that. Jesus would come in and tell some really unclear story about God or the kingdom of heaven and then leave. But this is one of the times he actually tells us what it means. So that's what we're going to look at it this morning. It's important. It goes like this. This is Matthew chapter 13. Later that same day, he'd been doing other things. What? Chapter 12. (laughs) Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got in the boat. Then he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. And he told them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. Farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have any deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. It's an MMA reference. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much had been planted. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, there's some verses in the middle. We're going to skip over that, and we're going to go right into Jesus' explanation. Look at this. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed that fell on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear 
and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much had been planted. That's our text this morning. I want to talk to you about having a fruitful life. And I think that's something that most of us in this room probably want. I think most people want to have a fruitful life. I don't think many people wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I'm really hoping to ruin my life and at the end of my days to really have nothing to show for it and and to have all my family hate me. Most people probably don't want that. Most people, if they were given the option, they want to have a fruitful life. So that's what I'll talk about. And when I'm talking about having a fruitful life this morning, I, I feel the need to tell you right up front what I'm not talking about is being rich. I'm not talking about that. And I feel like I have to say that because as Americans, um, we're oftentimes so fixated on becoming rich that as soon as I say words like fruitful life or something, we just sort of do the math like, oh yeah, you mean being rich. Like, so at the end, like you'll be rich and it'll be awesome, right? High fives, I want to be rich. Uh, not really. It could mean that. Like maybe at the end of your days, you could live a fruitful life and you will be rich. But maybe at the end of your days, you'll, you'll live a fruitful life. Hopefully you'll obey Jesus. You'll live a fruitful life. And you might end up poor. In fact, some of the most people, some of the people who are most fruitful in the kingdom of heaven are the poorest. And some of the people who are the furthest away from what God is doing and is hoping to do are the richest. And in fact, that ha- that's oftentimes the case. It's not exclusive, but that oftentimes happens. So we just have to say right up front, Right up front, being a fruitful person doesn't mean like at the end of your day you have a 401k and you have a lot of money and you go on lots of vacations. I mean, maybe that's what it means, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Everybody clear? Okay, good. All right, so here's a few things. I want to give you a few more images for living a fruitful life. Jesus tells a story. I want to give you a few more. How many of you have ever been to a farmer's market like on a Saturday morning? But like a, like a good one. You know what I mean? Like where there's lots of booze. And, you know, everything was, everything was locally produced. Portlandia. Everything's local. You, it's calling the chicken, you know. And there's eggs and there's strawberries. Have you ever been to one of those farmer's markets? There's just booths everywhere. And there's, you know, like dirty people brought their food from their garden to you, you know. <laughs> you know, you look at those people who are running those farmer's markets. They have, they have, they're dirty people, aren't they? And we're, we're happy about that because we feel like, you know, that person really did grow that. <laughs> they didn't just go to Georgia and like with a horse trailer and load a bunch of produce from wherever Walmart gets their stuff and bring it up and sell it to people under false auspices. No, they didn't do that. <laughs> they didn't do that. No, these are dirty people. They, they garden and they've, they've, they've come to the farmer's market. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Just go with me. And, and not only that, but you're at the farmer's market and maybe, maybe you have your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend with you and you have like a cup of coffee and it's cool and there's like a little fog out and everyone's just happy, you know? And we're like, wow, I smell strawberries and I have my coffee and my kids are not even being terrible, you know? <laughs> That's it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Like being surrounded by abundance your kids are not being terrible. The coffee's above average. It's hardened coffee. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's not Starbucks. H- how to ruin your life? Go to Starbucks. <laughs> it is true. It is true. I'm telling you. That place, spawn of the devil. They just... <laughs> anyway, another image. Another image. Uh, maybe you're a gardener. Anybody in here ever garden? Plant a garden. Maybe you're a gardener. Maybe you are one of those dirty people. 
And then you work the soil and you plant things. And uh, maybe you went to Philip's seed, you know, early in the spring. You got some little plants and you put them in your garden. And uh, you watered it. And you, you pulled all the weeds out and everything. And then somewhere, you know, around midway through the summer or even halfway. or It's the same, isn't it? Midway and halfway. But even towards the end of the summer, your garden becomes loaded with like squash and tomatoes, uh, corn and, and potatoes. I just realized that that rhymes. It's super weird. How many of you have ever done this and realized that at the end of it, like it doesn't matter how few tomatoes you plant. Like if you plant one tomato in your garden, it will produce more than your family can eat. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that people who have gardens are always trying to give other people food? They're like, you have to take these cucumbers. <laughs> you know? You're like, I really don't want any. <laughs> They're like, no. No, you take them. Give them to your friends. You know? I, I don't even have friends. <laughs> but that's what gardens do, isn't it? They always produce more than you can eat. Like anybody who has even two tomato plants has more than their family can have. If you plant one zucchini, I mean, it's, that stuff just explodes. I mean, zucchini's terrible. But... If you're one of those people who would eat it, like you're giving that stuff away. Even if you love it, you can only handle it like two days in a row. Uh, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about. Like you planted something and then all of a sudden you got more than you know what to do with. You're trying to give it away. I'm being funny, but it's kind of serious, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. An- another one. Uh, this is one we're experiencing on our farm right now. Uh, many of you know, if you're like a vineyard person, if you're new here, you're about to learn something that may make you upset. I don't know. Um, many of you here know that, like my family and I, we have, we have about six and a half acres of wine grapes, and we make wine. A pastor who makes wine, you better believe it. We drink it, too. Listen, right now on our farm, all the green grapes are turning purple, and now the vines are they're, they're weighed down. They're straining from the weight of all those grapes that are hanging on it. It's beautiful. We took some new pictures this week. It's gorgeous. That's what Jesus is talking about. You had this vineyard and all of a sudden you have, you have this, this harvest. It's, it's, it's hanging on the vines and the, va- the vines are like straining to hold it up. That's what, that's what it is. Or, or here's another image, maybe a bit more direct. Imagine this. Imagine a grandmother or a grandfather surrounded by their children and then also surrounded by their grandchildren and no one is at odds with one another. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's exactly what he's talking about. Like it was you, and then you found another person, and then the two of you made some people, and then those people made people, and then they came to your house and no one fought. High fives. Or, or what about this one? Imagine writing a little bit every day, and then years later having a shelf of books that you'd written some of which went on to really touch people's lives. We could play this game all day long, right? Like, you do a little bit, and all of a sudden it grows, and then it becomes something you never could have imagined. This is the fruitful life that Jesus is talking about. I mean, none of these images that I've given you are exactly what he's talking about, but they're all in the ballpark. We have to riff a little bit. So here in the parable that Jesus tells, we've got this strange farmer, and he's just out scattering seed, and he's... He's literally throwing it everywhere. And some of the seed falls on the hard path, and then the birds eat it up. And then other seed falls on rocky soil, 
and it springs to life quickly, but because there's no real soil in there, it, it dies because the sun comes out. And then other soil, other soil uh, produces, uh, it receives the seed and it produces it real quickly. It just sprouts up, but then those little sprouts, those tender little sprouts, they get choked out because there's thorns and weeds in there. And then finally, there's some seed that falls on good soil and it produces a large return. Okay, a little context here. Little context. It's oftentimes important. This parable that Jesus is telling, it's in a chapter of parables. So, little homework this week. Little homework. Go ahead and read the rest of chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. It's just Jesus telling one parable after another, one after another, one story after another about what God and His kingdom is like. But there's this, there's this, um, there's this theme that runs through every single one of the parables that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. It's in the one we just read. And then it's in every single one that follows. There's lots of themes, but there's one that connects them all. And the one theme that connects every single parable in Matthew chapter 13 is the idea of waiting and patience. I think that's important. Think about what we just read here a minute ago. Farmer goes out and he sows seed everywhere. How many of you realize that the seeds don't just instantly spring to life, right? Yeah, you got to wait. Anybody who's gardened at all, you put that seed in the ground and then eventually a few days later or a few weeks later it sprouts up. Right, that's exactly how it works. Well, the next, the next parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 is the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Y'all remember this one? Another farmer goes out and he plants some wheat and then his servants come to him and say, hey, master, we got a problem. Some enemy has come and sown weeds into the field. Do you want us to go and pull all the weeds out? And what does the master tell the servants? Don't do that. Why? Because we need to wait. What do we need to wait for? We need to wait for everything to become mature. We need to see it for what it really is. Because until we wait, until we see things for what they really, really are, you might, you might end up jerking out my wheat when you thought you were getting weeds. So let it be. It's the idea of waiting again. Third parable. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus says, kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. It's the smallest seed. But then what happens? You plant it and it becomes the biggest tree in the garden and then even the birds of the air have a place to come and make a home. How many of you realize that you can't take a tiny seed and get a tree overnight? Again, hidden inside of the parable is the idea of waiting and patience. And then the very next parable is one of my favorites that Jesus tells. He says there's this woman and she's making some bread and he says the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that gets hidden in the dough. Hidden in the dough. And eventually that yeast works its way all the way through and it leavens the whole dough and it rises. How many of you know that you can take some yeast and you can put it in dough and 10 seconds later it, it, won't, it won't have done the magic, right? You got to wait. You have to wait. And so one of the things we need to see right up front here as we look at what it means to have a fruitful life is we need to see that if you want a fruitful life, it's a lot less like the lottery and it's more like grapes that ripen all summer long. One of the things we love in America is we love instantaneous. Uh, we love lottery. Uh, we love prayer times that work like this. I prayed once and then Jesus answered immediately. You know, And you know what? Sometimes God does do things that are instantaneous. Like occasionally He does. I've seen a few instantaneous things in my life. However, 95% of what God does is not instantaneous. 
Most of what he's doing is slow. It's over the seasons. It's over months. It's over weeks. It's over years. And it's decades. And so if we have an instantaneous mindset, we'll oftentimes miss what God is doing. Or we become discouraged thinking he's doing nothing when in fact he's actually very active in our life. If you want to have a fruitful life, got to be patient. You just have to be patient. You have to, you have to be willing to go with it. I hope you realize that there's a difference between frozen dinner and a roasted chicken with butter, thyme, and shallots. Right? Anybody in here ever had a properly roasted chicken with butter, thyme, and shallots? Yeah. By next week, I need everybody in here to do this. Uh, One time, I'll tell you a little, this is how weird I am. Um, I watched this, you you know how food documentaries are all the rage on Netflix? It's like, what are we going to watch tonight? Well, a food documentary, of course. You know, <laughs> I'll watch any food documentary. I mean, it could be about anything. It could be, it could be about anything. I will watch it if it's about food. Well, one time I was watching this food documentary, and there's this famous chef out in California. His name is Thomas Keller. Anybody ever heard of Thomas Keller? No. Okay. More homework. Read Matthew chapter 13. Find out about Thomas Keller. Anyway, he's got this. He's got this restaurant out in California called the French Laundry. Costs about $1,000 a person to eat there. And dinner is four and a half hours long, right? One day, I'm taking my wife there. I know, I know five, four or five people who have gone there. And everyone says that at the end of the dinner, you realize it was cheap. Okay? But I was watching this little food documentary. Thomas Keller comes on. And he's like, the test of any real cook is a properly roasted chicken. Right? I'm like, challenge accepted. (laughs) So I spent a year, I spent a year, and every single Monday night for a year, I roasted a chicken. Because that's like one of those nights that Heather works late, and so dinner's always on me. And so every single Monday night for a year, I roasted a chicken. Can I tell you guys something? I can roast a chicken. (laughs) And you know the magic in roasting a chicken? You gotta tie that sucker up, you gotta learn how to trust the bird. Trust meaning like tie it up, like French style. Why am I talking about this? Here's the reason I'm talking about this. Because there's a massive difference between a properly roasted chicken and some like TV dinner garbage that's frozen at Walmart, right? It's not the same product. That stuff's not even food. One time I, 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 we did a, fro- like Maggie like cooked some sort of a microwave dinner and she didn't eat all of it. I just did a test. I put it down in front of the dog. The dog wouldn't even eat it. Yeah, you want a fruitful life? You want the real stuff? You want the real stuff? Oh, man, the real stuff. Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 13, man, the real stuff, it's not instantaneous. It's like leaven and dough. It's like a little mustard seed that grows to be the biggest tree. It's like seed that's planted on all kinds of soil. It's going to take a minute. It's not like the lottery. It's like grapes that are ripening every day a little bit more. See, by and large, by and large, God's goodness, by and large, God's goodness comes out like honey from a jar. Real slow. All right. All right, on to the Jesus interpretation. Seed is the word. That's what he says. He says the seed is the word. Now, the very thing that we need to catch along with that, it's not explicit, it's implicit is that Jesus is the farmer. If the seed is the word, then Jesus has to be the farmer, right? Because he's the one preaching. 
So Jesus is the farmer, and the seed is the word, and he's the one who's scattering the word of God left and right, everywhere, all the time. And I know some of us in here were not raised on a farm, but one of the things we have to see in this little image that Jesus gives us is that this, this farmer's nuts. Apparently, Jesus is insane. I'm not really a farmer, but I was raised close enough to the farm that I know that one of the things you're going to do if you're going to plant seed is you don't just take your best seed and scatter it everywhere willy-nilly. I've never said willy-nilly before (laughs) until just then. That was new for me. (laughs) Like any good farmer worth his salt, like prepare some sort of a plot of ground and then you you plant your seed there. And, And you don't just go scattering seed left and right. But Jesus says, well, there's this farmer, and he just scatters seed everywhere. Apparently, he'll plant it on hard paths. He'll plant it in stony ground. He'll plant it in thorny ground. And he'll even plant it on good ground. And this is an amazing thing. This is one of those parts of the Bible that just encourages me so much. You know, a lot of us have this image that that God is like some stingy miser. He's this old guy. He's like really old. And he's, he's got a gray beard. And he's, he, you know, he's got a lot of stuff. He's definitely rich. And he's just hanging on to it for dear life. Apparently he's not. Apparently he just throws seed everywhere. And he doesn't even seem to care where it falls. He doesn't even seem to care where it falls. It's an image of generosity. And it's an image of abundance. It's, it's an image of generosity because he's not isolating his efforts into one spot. Uh, sometimes we imagine God as, you know, just this old stingy guy. Or, or sometimes we imagine that God is only working with the good people, wh- whoever they are. God's only working, you know, with the good people. He's working with super Christians who read their Bible every day and pray. He's working with super Christians who have Bible apps. You know, I got my Bible app. I did it 365 days. I mean, I believe in this stuff, by the way. If you don't have a Bible app, you should get one. It'll be good for you. Here's the other part. It won't make God love you anymore. You know? I mean, it's just how it is. But we have this... We, we imagine sometimes that God's working with the people with Bible apps. He's forsaken everyone else. And he's sowing his seed into those gardens. And he's like, you know, all those other weed gardens, those people watching Game of Thrones, leaving them out. He's not. Apparently, Jesus is sowing good seed into people who have Bible apps. And also, he's sowing good seed into people who watch Game of Thrones. Who knew? He's generous, bordering on crazy. The whole world is God's target. He's sowing his seed into good soil, and he's also sowing his seed into suspect soil. And here are at least two reasons for his insanity. Number one, God sows his seed into good soil and suspect soil because that's how much he loves the world. He wants to give everybody a chance. Some of us grew up with like tremendously horrendous theology that says that God is saving some people and he's like forsaking others. And then he sort of like made this decision from the foundation of the world. Let me tell you, it's garbage. It's total and complete garbage. We know it because Jesus says that's not what he does. He sows his seed on Good soil and suspect soil. And the reason he does it is because he loves the whole world. God doesn't just love a few people. God doesn't even just love the people who have prayed the prayer. God loves people who have not prayed the prayer. God loves the people who will never pray the prayer. 
Here's one even crazier than that. God loves the people who are blowing up the people who have prayed the prayer. Whoa, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's insane. He's sowing his seed near and far. Why? Because he loves the world. Number two, because he's, because he's, here's why. He's brave enough to do this because he has so much seed. See, here's the thing. Oftentimes you and I, we assume that the world is based upon scarcity. You know, I've only got this much stuff. I've only got that much stuff. I've only got this much energy. I've only got that much talent. I've only got this much money. I've only got this many hours in the day. And then pretty soon, we just accept wholeheartedly a scarcity mindset. And we just assume, well, that must be the way God is too. And so God just becomes the projections of all of our own lack, right? But God is not the projection of all of our own lack. And we know it because Jesus tells us a story that's the exact opposite. God is sowing seed on good ground, and he's sowing seed on bad ground. And the reason he doesn't care to sow seed on bad ground, in addition to loving the bad ground, he sows it because he's got so darn much seed, he can't run out. You and I'd be like, well, you know, I've only got this little pocket of seed. God's got like dump trucks of seed, and he just scatters it abroad. He's not worried about running out. And so here's the thing, church. A fruitful life is about receiving what God is sowing. It might take some time, but it's about receiving what God is sowing. That's what Jesus says. The farmer sows, and the soil receives it. And then we find out if we can produce anything. But here's the kicker. Jesus says there's four kinds of soil. Hard path, rocky, thorny, and good. And by the way, the soil, that's us. That's us. All of us are some combination of these soils. Hard path, rocky, thorny, good. I want to talk to you about the hard path. Some of us in here might even be the hard path. What is the hard path? Here's what I think the hard path is. The hard path is the road most traveled. Isn't that what a hard path is? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the way everyone goes, right? That's the reason it's a path. Everybody walked on it. Pretty soon it becomes really packed down and becomes really hard. Every Sunday afternoon, River and I, we go and ride our mountain bikes at the trails at the lake. They're hard. Why? Because everybody's ridden them. The hard path, it becomes so hard that the seed of God's word just can't find any contact. But what does the image of a hard path mean? Here's what I think it means. Because it's the road most traveled, I think it speaks of worldly wisdom and experience. Oftentimes the people who have the, the most trouble receiving God's word are the ones who are most convinced that they know how life already works. And so when Jesus shows up showing another way, there's just not much room for that. I've already traveled this way. I know what this is. It's the hard path. It's impervious to the word of God. It already knows better. It knows the way. And so the birds come and eat it. So Jesus says, you know, doesn't receive. Seeds just lay there. Then the birds come and... I don't know why I was using my hand like that. They come and eat it. They come and eat it. And then the explanation, Jesus says that the birds represent the evil one. I think this is super interesting, by the way. What, what happens... If some seed falls on a hard path, if it falls on worldly wisdom, if it falls on the, world, on the road most traveled and then the birds of the air come and eat it, and that represents the evil one, what, what happens when birds eat seeds? I mean, you guys are not biologists, but you know what happens, right? They eat it and then an hour later, what do they do? 
Man, they poop that stuff out. And then what happens to that seed? It might land on your car. If your car is black, it'll be white. If your car is white, it'll be black. Or, more times than not, that bird ends up planting that seed again. Isn't this interesting? So basically, here's, here's some good news for you. Maybe you didn't know this. Uh, even when the devil steals something off of the hard path, he ends up doing God's work for him, and he scatters it, and it ends up growing. You cannot stop the kingdom of heaven. Isn't this good news? Yeah, that's an amazing little thing. That Jesus, he's so subversive. Some of us are the hard path. And you know what? One of the things we need this morning is we need to ask God to begin to till us up. Soften us up. Especially in those places where we think we know the way the world works. Every place you're most convinced, mm, we need to reconsider it. Okay, second place. Stony ground. I hope you realize that at each one of these sections, the, the, the ground becomes a little deeper. So hard path, no depth, can't grow. Stony ground, a little bit of depth. How many of you have ever dug in hard, rocky ground? It's horrible. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's horrible. But there is slightly more depth. And it, but it's filled with rocks. And here's what rocks speak of. Hard places. Difficulty. Anybody ever dug? It's just hard. And it's difficulty. So the rocks represent hard places and difficulty. They especially represent callousness and bitterness. You've got to think about resistance. And here's what's interesting. Both the, both the stony ground and the thorny ground, they speak of an unattended life. Soil that's unattended. That's what they speak of. But in completely different ways. In completely different ways. The stony ground is soil filled with hard things that haven't been removed. Especially things like disappointment, bitterness, anger, and hopelessness. And here's what I mean by that. And this is the reason I can go there. How many of you realize that there are no new rocks? Oh, look, I found a new rock. This one's like a week old. I'm going to take him to my rock nursery because he's a baby. <laughs> you don't do that, right? Because all rocks are old. Jesus is telling us one of the things that will cause the Word of God to wither in your life is the part of your life that's unattended and it's undealt with, especially that part that comes from your past. The things in your past that have made you bitter, the things in your past that have made you hard, calloused, disappointed, angry, the things that have not worked out, that is stuff that is literally killing the roots of God's Word in your life. You have to deal with it. So let's just talk about some things that are really common in a room like this. Um, <clears throat> if any of you have a father who's really crappy, if any of you have a father who's really crappy or a family that was horrible, uh, that's, probably a, a, that's probably a rock garden that you need to attend to. Because until you do, all of the pain and the disappointment that comes from your crappy father who wasn't good and didn't take care of you, and it'll come, it's there. And you may think, well, I don't have any issues with my dad. Oh, yeah, you just wait. Just wait. <laughs> it's there. And until those things are dealt with, until they're brought to the light of Jesus, until, until they're removed, man, the soil of God's word, it's just, it's so hard for those seeds to go down deep. 
How many of you, don't raise your hand because this would not be good, but how many of you have ever had like a lot of quick starts that went nowhere with God? Like you got pumped, like you went to a conference and you were like, man, I'm going to be something, I'm going to do it. I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a Christian. And then like a week later you're like, forget it. Or I'm a Christian, I'm totally a Christian, I'm totally a Christian. And like three weeks later you're drinking every night, you're smoking weed with your buddies. Where did that happen? Where did that go to? Oh, maybe there's some stuff underneath that was never dealt with. Yeah. Some of us are like, that's not me. Oh, dude. Could be. (laughs) I mean, this stuff comes into my office all the time. And I'm happy for it to come into my office, actually. That's good. But stones. There are no new stones. It's old stuff. And everybody's got a rock or two. It's got to come out. All right. Thorny. Thorny. Again, even more depth than stony ground. Because here, the image here is that the, the thorny soil, it's actually decent soil because it's growing everything, right? It's not that nothing's growing, it's that too many other things are growing. So we're not far off, but it's different. Again, stony soil and thorny soil, it's an unattended life. Stony soil is an unattended life that, that the past has not been dealt with. Thorny soil, an unattended life that the present has not been dealt with. Our current circumstances. How many of you realize that there are, that there are very few uh, weeds and thorns that are super old? Right? They're always new. They're fresh. Those suckers just keep coming up. And Jesus gets real specific about the kind of thorns and weeds that choke out the life of the kingdom. He only mentions Two things. He says in a general way, he says the worries of life. And then he gets specific. He says specifically the love of money. Trying to be rich. Isn't that interesting? That should give us pause. That should give us pause. People get real anxious about money. I get real anxious about money. Anybody in here ever like lost some sleep over money? Man, we got to get over that, don't we? We have to. Why? Because it kills the seed of God's kingdom in our life. Because you get so focused on like making rent or getting a bigger house that you just slowly lose contact with the things that God wants to do in your life. And some of us are like, well, I'm in college. I'm not really worried about that. My mom and dad take care of it. Man, learn to deal with it right now because let me tell you, college is over in a flash and all of a sudden you're going to have a cataclysmic encounter with reality. <laughs> it will happen. Here's the other reason we got to deal with like worries of life and especially the desire to like be super rich. We have to deal with that because if it's not dealt with, it's just it's perennial. Perennial. You know perennial means every year. It just never goes away and it chokes it out. That kind of anxiety it just doesn't work. And the desire for money is heart anesthesia. Just puts it puts your heart to death, and then it grows everything in the world you didn't want. Here's what I know: uh, I know people. I know this is really sad, actually. I, I know people who really do love God, and they actually really do know Him. Like it's not fake; they really do know Him. They really do love Him, but their ambitions are so alive. And by the way, I'm even a person who believes in ambition. That came from God. But their ambitions are so alive, especially the ones that are fixated on wealth and comfort, that it kills their love for God. And so then they have this cycle. They have this cycle. And the cycle works usually like this. A year, about a year or, or, or even a year and a half, 
they, they love God and everything's pretty okay. And then all of a sudden they have these overwhelming ambitions to be significant, especially as it relates to money and comfort. And then their life goes crazy. They start losing everything that's essential. This happens. I've seen it over and over. They start losing touch with everything that's, that's essential. You know what's funny? is Sometimes they even become rich and they even become quote-unquote comfortable and then they've lost the things that matter most to them. And then they come into my office and they said, I, I had a guy one time tell me, I was climbing the ladder to success only to realize I put it against the wrong wall. Bummer. That's what Jesus is talking about. Yeah. Okay. And then finally he talks about good soil. What is that? It's not hard. What does that mean? It's soft and it's humble. It's not stony. There's room for the roots. There's depth. And it's not weedy. It's clean. Its desires have been unified to one thing, and that's God's word. Okay, let's get personal before we leave. Here's a question we all need to deal with this week. What kind of soil am I? Not me, but you. Right? What kind of soil am I? Here's what I've noticed in my life. I've noticed that I'm some sort of a weird amalgamation of all of it. I have parts of my life that are good soil. I have other parts that are like real stony. I have other parts that are thorny. And then I have some other parts that's like hard path. I think I know it. You know? This is an invitation from the Spirit to begin to ask Jesus, would you show me what kind of soil I am? See, I think Jesus wants to investigate this. Here's why. Here's why. Because I think the parable he tells us this morning, it's actually an invitation to amend the soil. Anybody ever heard the phrase, amend the soil? It's a very like English gardener word. Amend the soil. Franklin. <laughs> Franklin, old chap, come and help me amend the soil. You know, it's, I don't know. We could have a PBS special called Amend the Soil. I used to have these three these three raised beds and two of them the soil was pretty good and then the third one the soil was kind of crappy it wouldn't grow anything so I asked my neighbor for three five gallon buckets of chicken manure so I put the chicken manure on it and I went and got a bunch of leaves out of the woods and I took my little garden tiller and I tilled it in I tilled it in and you know what the bed that had the crappiest soil after some sweat and some hard work it became the bed that had the best soil. And I planted tomatoes in that bed one time. And the tomatoes grew to over seven feet tall. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, if you have the self-awareness to realize what kind of soil that, that you really are. Like, and this is back to what we were talking about last week. Like, we can't live in denial, land. Jesus can't heal your fake life. He can only heal your real life. Like, if we wake up to who we really are, then it's actually an invitation to become good soil. Like, just because you're a hard path now doesn't mean you have to be a hard path next year. And just because there's some stony areas in your life right now doesn't mean they have to be stony next year. And just because there's a few thorn patches in your life right now doesn't mean they have to be thorny next year. Like, you could rip out the thorns, take out the rocks, and you could amend the soil in the hard path, and you could end up being fruitful soil. 30, 60, 100. One more image. Everybody in here has seen like a little kernel of corn, like a seed. You plant a kernel of corn. The thing that comes up is one stalk. On that stalk will be two ears. And each ear will have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kernels on it. That's God's kingdom. That could be you. 
What does that mean? Here's basically what Jesus is saying. Everything that God has sown into your life, everything that he sows into your life is meant to grow up, to be amplified, to be expanded, and to be multiplied to many, many, many. Many, many, many. How many of you have ever been forgiven by God and you like, you know it? Like, I know it. Oh, that's something he wants to multiply in the world. How does the world end up more forgiven? We let them know. Dude, I was, I was, I was shipwrecked. Then I found out that God was not angry with me, but that he had forgiven me and his son. That's how it works. How many of you have ever, um, how many of you have ever been like healed of like some really deep emotional pain? Anybody? Oh man, that's, that's, that's amazing. You know what that means? That means that God's planted that in your life and then he wants to grow that up and he wants you to give that away. Just like cucumbers that you grew too many of and tomatoes. Like you planted one and then all of a sudden you got so much to give away. Yeah. How many of you were ever lonely and then you got welcomed into the family of God and you found not just friends, but you found like heart connection, you know? Oh, that's exact. That's it. That's it. One more thought experiment and then we'll be done. Okay, everybody in here, we're, we're a little bit of everything. We got babies to old people in here right now. But this service, for whatever reason, is leaning a little towards the younger side. I'd say the median age right now is 26 in here. I don't know where I'm getting that number, but that feels right, okay? Okay, so most of us in here are 26. But this goes for everybody. We can do a thought experiment. Like, even if you're 35, and even if you're like 80, you can still do this thought experiment. But you're like 26. Now I want you to imagine yourself at 92. You're like super wrinkly, and, and, you're, and you're, just, you're just old. Okay. What if by the time you're 92, what if by the time you're 92, you've so cooperated with God you have received his word and you have done the hard work. And by the way, grace is not opposed to effort, as Dallas Willard says. It is opposed to earning. Okay? So all these messages you've heard all your life that, you know, grace is not trying. That's bull. Sometimes it is hard work. Okay? But what if by the time you're 93, you had received God's word and you've just gone with it and you've gone with it and you, you, you pulled out all the disappointment and the hurts and the anger and you got rid of all those stones and you you pulled up the weeds of love of money and trying to be somebody you pulled all that out and you and you ran the tiller over the hard path and by the time you were 93 not only were you a christian who still loved jesus but over the course of your lifetime you made a hundred other christians what if you made 30 christians like you, you discipled people into the things that you'd been getting. How many of you all think that would be possible? I think not only is it possible, I think it's what he's talking about. Like the very things that he's given to us, we pass it on. Amen? If you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.